Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline, they'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march into the NFL playoffs and beyond. And that's why BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. It's a new year, but there's a new updated desktop and mobile website. To sign up today, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. Football, basketball, boxing, hockey, UFC, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 year. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the pod. It's a long time coming, but it's a brand new year. It's a time to revisit our movie pod series. We are doing a 1992 film called Last of the Mohicans today. And full disclaimer, I'm going to be cursing on this pod a lot because I love this fucking movie so very, very much. So just heads up to all the kids in the car right now because that's what's going down. Let's bring in our panel for today. He is a man known for his Latinate voluptuousness, but rarely known for his Gallic laziness. It's Dan Sanders Joyce. Hello, Dan. Hey, man, I just lay where I stay. You know what, I, what I'm saying? <laughs> I stay where I lay. <laughs> he is a man uh, who want, who knows a thing or two about trading away all of his lands for beads and cheap whiskey, and a man who I'm afraid someday we are going to have a very serious disagreement. It's Paige Smith. Hello, Paige. What's up? The day's finally come for this podcast. I'm so stoked, man. we got a great group here. And finally, to round out our panel, he is a man who believes British policy makes the world England. He ain't no scout, and he ain't your damn militia. It is Jeff Meacham. Hello, Jeff. On the contrary, my friend, this podcast is more deeply stirring to my blood than any imagining could possibly have been. Just yeah. want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be all about stirring up that blood today because it is Last of the Mohicans, a movie that came out September 25th, 1992, a movie that currently has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 76% on Metacritic. It made $143 million at the box office on a $40 million budget directed by Michael Mann. Composers Trevor Jones, Randy Edelman, we can get into that a little bit later because the score kicks ass. But first, gentlemen, before we get started, I love doing this. We've done it before on the pod. Let's do it again. I'm going to run through you month by month the movies that came out in 1992. Are we ready? Here we go. February, Wayne's World, Stop or My Mom, uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and Radio Flyer in the month of March. My Cousin Vinny, Basic Instinct, White Men Can't Jump, Lethal Weapon 3, Ladybugs, the month of April. Beethoven, Fern Gully, Newsies, Sleepwalkers, The Babe, John Goodman's The Babe. That's right. Moving on to the month of May, Alien 3, Sister Act, and Sino Man, Far and Away. June, Batman Returns, Patriot Games, Boomerang. July, A League of Their Own, Universal Soldier, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Prelude to a Kiss, Bebe's Kids, Mo Money. The month of August, stay tuned, Critters Tour, Strictly Ballroom, Pet Cemetery 2, Unforgiven, Three Ninjas. September, Reservoir Dogs, School Ties, Mr. Saturday Night, Captain Ron, Sneakers, Last the Mohicans. And this is when it starts getting really interesting. October, Mighty Ducks, Under Siege, River Runs Through It, Candyman, Glengarry, Glen Ross, 1492, Conquest of Paradise, Mr. Baseball, November, Passenger 57, Home Alone 2, Aladdin, Bodyguard, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Malcolm X, December, Muppets Christmas Carol, A Few Good Men, Chaplin, Scent of a Woman, Forever Young, Sidekicks. That's right. I mentioned multiple Jonathan Brandis movies 
in that span of a year, just killing it. That is back when movies were happening, back when movies were made, and we were definitely watching them. So let's start our lightning round. Dan, you're going to go first. When was the first time you saw Last of the Mohicans in this 1992 year of amazing movies? Yeah, I, so I was I was thinking about this because I knew this question was going to come. And to be completely honest, I don't remember the first time that I saw this movie. I know it wasn't in the theaters, um, but I do. I do. I'm pretty sure that it was with my dad, like a blockbuster night. Uh, my dad is a huge Daniel Day-Lewis fan. I watched My Left Foot when I was like five years old and it destroyed me. It terrified me. I thought that Christy was going to be waiting in his wheelchair in my room late at night when I would go to bed. It was terrifying for me. <clears throat> um, Dad was a huge Daniel Day-Lewis fan. So I, I, sometime I would imagine the next year is 93 is probably when I saw it the first time. As a lot of times in this podcast, it turns into a blockbuster night and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Jeff, when was the first time you saw Last of the Mohicans? Well, I would have been 13 years old when this movie came out. Uh, this is, this is, key like rated r sneak into the movie time right you know this is that period of time um this was a crazy year for me quickly this was the year that my mom sent me to a delinquent school i worked out the whole dates so i had to go to a delinquent eighth grade school out in the middle of nowhere so i was i was trouble my baby sister was born september 17th my grandfather died october 2nd and yet i still know that i went to see this movie in the theater but i'm wondering what I went to go see to sneak into this movie, because there's no way I would have bought a ticket for it. I was 13, but I'm sure at the Sarasota Square Mall West, I was probably going to see maybe, and we were talking about it earlier, sneakers. I could have probably bought tickets for sneakers. Or could have been Captain sure. Ron. Captain Ron was the week before, too, as well. Also probably PG, right? That yeah. also could have been a possibility What could well. have been, yeah, because that's the fun thing to find out is what I would have bought a ticket for. I mean, again, maybe it's just now that being a 40-year-old guy, listen to the list you just said of movies that came out that year. I mean, that's insane. There's got to be 30 movies on that list that are like all timers uh, of mice and men. I've seen that movie at the under siege. I've probably seen 50 times yeah, yeah. easily, easily TNT as many times as he snaps a neck is probably as the time that you've seen <laughs> under siege. Cause there's a lot of, or neck it takes, snaps. A, takes a body over a table saw, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter, but yeah, I would have said I would, this would have been a definite sneaker, Sneaker. <laughs> uh, I would have snuck in to see this movie, but I definitely saw in the theater. I just don't remember exactly when because I was 13. Yeah, there's nostalgia and sadness, right? Because I'm reading off these months. One month feels like an entire year of movies now, right? Like that we probably, oh, there's probably four or five, six movies that actually make it to the theater that you want to go out and see. A lot of them now are superhero IP, but I mean, this one, you just get them all in one month. I remember I saw this movie in the theater. I don't know why my parents took me to this movie. It was the loudest movie I had ever been to in my entire life. This was before THX Sound, and this was before I think we knew a lot about you know hearing loss um, because <laughs> this thing was just overwhelming and completely like I was overstimulated as a kid. It scared me. It thrilled me, but I never forgot the music when I first saw it. Paige, first time you saw Last of the Mohicans. Uh, well, I, I won't. It's, I'm not going on a limb when I say I'm probably the oldest guy in the room here. I, I'm pretty sure I am. We, I was, I think – I know I was, I would have been a junior in high school and I saw, I remember seeing very well with my cousin Joe in the theater. Uh, we had two little movie theaters in our hometown. So, you know, there, there was only so many movies we were interested in seeing and it totally blew us away. And I was in AP English at the time and we went in to talk, I was talking to my English teacher. You know, we were talking about how much we love this movie and she was like, oh yeah, Last Mohicans. You know, that's, that, that's like, those books are like these cliffhangers and they're like the Indiana Jones of their day. 
and they are they are these you know action books from from you know these this time and place long time ago and i'm like what the fuck are we doing with the scarlet letter then why aren't we reading these you know so i remember like trying my damnedest to i found the book in the library and tried to get through it you know the james fenimore cooper version and let me tell you it is no indiana jones oh, no no has, it, they are, has anybody ever tried to sit through the 1936 version of this movie raccoon skin hat you know and all that <laughs> yeah, oh, it, is, yeah. it is not good it is not yeah. good. <laughs> you mean you're saying the you know you're saying a uh, long rifle doesn't shoot two fucking guns at once uh in the original no. movie like no, this one does <laughs> what, I, what i will say it's a silent movie what i will say is it came out pre-gone with the wind and, you know, everybody was like, oh, the burning of Atlanta was so monumental and Gone with the Wind. That's sort of what makes it one of AFI's top 100 movies of the last 100 years, uh, this sweeping epic. What I will say is Blast the Mohicans, when they bomb Fort Henry or uh, whatever, and in, in that in that 1936 movie, uh, to me, is on just as great a grand scale as the burning of Atlanta was in Gone with the Wind. Wow. This is a great, uh, great transition here to my next lightning round topic. Um, as you are uh, ingesting this movie, it's a sweeping romantic tale told, shot, told, told in New York, but actually shot in North Carolina. Um, it is also one of those movies, too, where when you start to watch it, uh, it's also a reminder of uh, fucking war. Um, you know, guys, can I just be honest with you? Like, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing with war? Uh, we're building trenches. We're shooting cannons at people. Um, it's brutal. It's terrible. I mean, as human beings, have we really ever kind of thought through the concept of war? Lightning round. Dan, uh, what's your thought on war? And, you know, I had a very similar thought when I was doing this rewatch last night, Joe, when when the Scott, when the gray hair and uh, the French guy meet in the middle. And it's like, what? we're all dressed up in funny little outfits. And what like, are we doing? Making this sweeping thing. What are we? This is a fucking chess game. This is a game that children play that we put in the hearts and minds of men thinking that this actually leads to something beneficial for all of us. I had the exact same thought, Joey. That's really funny. Jeff, uh, you know, what's up with war? (laughs) (laughs) What's the deal with war, Joey? Uh, I will say this is another one of those, you know, because I saw this movie so many times when I was a kid that I didn't really pay attention to any of this stuff. So I always thought this movie took place during the Revolutionary War. And then I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) This isn't even that. This is before that. This is when two countries went to another land and just fought over it with people living on the land. Mm-hmm. People lived here, Native Americans, and they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to decide who gets this land. It's either French or English. That was awful. And those poor colonials, I mean, oh my God. that you don't, again, just kind of like that sequence in um the first Star Wars, where as a kid, you don't recognize that there's bodies just burning on Tatooine when he goes mm-hmm. back home and he sees dead bodies. This was also my first time as an adult seeing dead children. Those are dead women and children on the, um uh, whatever that frontier land is, mm-hmm. you know, when they go back and see it, it's horrible. It's yeah. horrific. Death is horrific. War is horrific. It's just, what are we doing, guys? I mean, we can't find a better way to, like, spend our time. Like, they're all hanging out in the cabin eating this delicious meal. The guy's with his family, and then he goes, well, you know, England is our sovereign. Like, you know, it's just just really just blows my mind. You know who got it right? You know who got it right? Robot jocks. Remember that movie? Remember they decided (laughs) that no longer will you have war. It's just two men inside of giant robots that battle it out. And the winner, that's the winner. That's what we need. That's what war needs to be. Two dudes fight to the death, and that's it. No one else dies. Uh, lightning round, Paige, your take on war. Well, it sounds to me like you guys pretty much have figured war out. So I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, 
you know, if you got, you've hit every point. I, but I will say in the movie, I, I did think about that a lot. I was like, this is almost like a Vietnam movie. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're in this land where the people that live there are the ones who are the, are, there's so many scenes where they're like, they, they, in the scene where they're walking, they're, they're leaving the fort and they're, they're marching, you know, with drums and they're in these uniforms just right in the middle of a field. And then they show the juxtaposition of like the Mohawk and the Huron, like walking through the forest, like they're 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 showing the two different like styles of life, yeah. and the the English are dressed in all red, and the the natives are painted, and they have you know feathers, and they, and there's just this they're showing the juxtaposition of these two worlds, and then they literally clash right then after you know a few seconds later, and I I, I found that to be this really great metaphor for you know like you guys said fighting war in somebody else's turf and somebody else's turf and and the, the horrors of it, and also, you know, get the fuck out of our country. You know what I mean? There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of that there. It's like, it's over. It's, you know, the, the two worlds colliding do not work out for anybody, really. Well, and, and we'll get to her a little bit later, but, you know, she's kind of like in a D or even an E story in this movie, but the whole tale of Alice, you know what I mean? Yes. The narrative of her being like, I'm so ready for adventure, and the world Have you seen a red man? Yeah, yeah, the red says, and the world outside is so brutal. Yeah, the brutalization of the entire world that she enters into leads to her her demise. For we're going to talk about you know what was going through her mind when that Poor particularly Alice. happened. Alice Page, I want to follow up to you real quick because um, I I'm I'm guessing you know you know a little bit about history and stuff like the drummers in the in the in the the walking line. Did they ever fight? I mean, it was the the job was to protect the musicians, right, in war because they were they were integral to continuing the march, right? But they never yeah, did any fighting, right? Yeah, it's just like yeah, it's exactly exactly that. It, I mean, it's just it's just there to to keep order, you know. Like we march to this beat, we don't argue, we don't, you know what I mean? And we just do as we're told. And it's just such an archaic thing. I can't I can't imagine you were not allowed by the rules of war to attack the band. You know what I mean? It, it was supposed yeah. to be, that's, no, that's our, that's our, like, um, that's our, our what, what's the, Dan, what's the thing that clicks back and forth? Metronome, that's our metronome. You don't, you don't touch these guys, you know? So if anybody ever did mess with them, it was just a really big no-no. But I'm sure that the, the Mohawk didn't really give a shit, you know. I'm, I, they probably were just like, "This stick is great." Let's yeah. this. Well, yeah. and it's one of—it's an amazing movie, but it's also one of those movies where we like to play the game of like, what role would you want to play as an actor? There really isn't one in this one. I was like, you know, do you really want to be the drummer in the middle of the war? I don't know, not really. Do you want to be a part of the War Party, which is a great band name, by the way, that no one's really taken up yet? We should think about it. Dan, hop in. The rules of war, like the fact that we've got wars, and then we have rules for war. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, people are like, especially back then when war was civilized and something that like civilized nations did to each other to progress themselves. The idea of rules in war just is so incongruous in my head to the actual like doing of war that it's it's just such a funny just juxtaposition. And I assume the only reason that the Native Americans lost any of this stuff, because when you watch all these movies and you see the ridiculousness of a bunch of men in red coats lining up and having to wait for an order to fire, I assume it was just because they were under law and there was hundreds and thousands of them and they outnumbered them and guns were, you know, so much more prominent because every time you watch these movies, you're like, how did they lose? They, yeah. they could, they swept through and killed 10 men at a time because these guys are just lined up and they're carrying all this stuff. It's, it's amazing that they, when you watch a movie like this, you think, how did the British rule most of the planet? I don't get it. 
Well, and you're bring, you guys are bringing up a really interesting point. I want to get into Michael Mann here just real quick because you kind of notice that, you know, you, when you see – I mean, there's two different ways with this filmmaking, right? There's one that shows you, like, the gritty, you know, close-up shots of people getting blown away and, you know, the perils of war, where Michael Mann seems more interested in kind of, like, the negotiation tactic of, like, well, what about my colors? Like, go back with your colors and pride. Well, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, can I send you over to the sur- – can I send my wounded men over to your surgeons? Like, yes, we can totally do that. In those early scenes, too, of talking about, like, the militias and the colonials and what, you know – are you still betrothed to the English sovereign rule? Or are these people still allowed to leave if shit gets bad for their own neighborhoods? That's the stuff that like Michael Mann really like drills into. And to your point, Jeff, uh, if you want to weigh in first on Michael Mann, it's really funny that also it's this funny thing of, you know, of course, the white man does not come off very well once again in this movie as a historical reference of what they were doing. And we're talking about all these rules of engagement when clearly it's this whole deception of creating rules, rules, and then obviously slipping underneath and completely subverting that. And that's how a lot of people took over power. And that's, you know, when I think that's what happened a lot with Native Americans, right? It's like, oh, maybe these people do have ethics and maybe they do have codes and rules. When in fact, no, they don't really at all. They're here to just kind of completely pillage and take over your land. Uh, Jeff, hop in on just, you know, Michael Mann, do you have like a favorite shot? There's so many beautiful wide shots in this movie. And just the way that he kind of attacks this movie because it's part action movie, part historical, you know, thriller, romance, drama, all sorts of things. Yeah, well, as I've gotten older, I've started to pay a little bit more attention in learning about DPs and uh, cinematographers. And so Dante Spinotti yes! is is the guy who shot this. And he did some of our favorite movies. I mean, L.A. Confidential. And then mm. probably we can discuss. I know you're going to want to discuss this later, but I don't think there's an argument that Michael Mann's best film is Heat, which is his next movie. And yep. he shot that as well. I mean, they just listen. This movie was supposed to come out in the summertime and. It didn't. So again, this was supposed to be a summer movie. Summer blockbusters now are nothing but Marvel movies. This was supposed to be a summer blockbuster. I miss that. I miss a sweeping shot of a beautiful bridge as the British are marching across. To me, that's my favorite shot. Let's not... Are you asking me my favorite shot? My favorite shot in the movie is probably an entire scene under a waterfall. And it sounds Mm -hmm. incredible. It's so impactful, that entire sequence. And the sound quality, I th- 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 I think about these things now, what I never would have thought of. How do you sh- how did you shoot this scene? You know, if there's a raging waterfall, you know, there's the, you know, when most of the time people are faking clapping and here's a waterfall behind us. So I don't know how they did that, but I, I think the shots in this movie are out of this world. And how did they do it? How did they, cr- I mean, we just had this of horrific tragedy with Alec Baldwin shooting someone. This movie had obvious cannonballs being fired, ex- real explosions happening, men flying like it's the A-team all over the place. So I don't know how they made this movie. Yeah, and it's a movie that really kind of uh, appreciates wide shots, right? Like you're talking like, you know, yes. when you've got the line and then the ambush and you see them all come out of the woods. You right. see them kind of, you see the the shapes and the figures moving through the different leaves and everything. Uh, Paige, just so you know, weigh in on, you know, the way Michael Mann handles this movie where at moments it's this roller coaster thrill ride that is sweeping. You know, it, it really opens up the door to allow Lord of the Rings to do as many running montages as it eventually does because this really much it like it creates the sprint montage, but then also has restraint and quietness and and also maybe what's your favorite shot? Well, okay, so yeah, I mean, to, to, that's so funny. At that point, I remember my cousin and I, we went into it thinking it was going to be like a Western or something, you know what I mean? We weren't really that familiar with James Finnemore Cooper novels. And um, I remember us being like, dude, those guys just fucking run everywhere. That's all they did. They just ran. You know, they just ran up hills, ran up mountains, ran, 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 which, which was really striking. But what I thought about last night 
the script itself is so efficient. If, if there's, if you remember the scene when they're in the, uh, the cemetery and he's kind of just getting to know Cora, you know, there, it, it is the scene that has tons of exposition. I mean, you learn about him, you learn about the family that just got killed. You learn that's a long him. scene. That's a long, long scene. scene. But, but it's, it's also like tons of information and in, in like, it's very few, there's no fat on that in this movie at all. There's none. And you also get to see that spark of them like, oh, she's not what he thought he, that she was. Oh, and, and, and you know, he says that thing about they're a breed apart and you can- Yeah, understand. they're having the conversation and then they, they're having the conversation and they stop and she actually pulls out a gun and he like looks at her. Yeah. And he goes, all right. And he hands her, hands her the, the powder. And that's a weird show and not a tell too of him like respecting her and understanding like yeah. her strength. Yeah. I'm and with then you. she sees that he's not some brute that just left people to rot, that there's a reason with everything they do. They're so like, if we do that, we die. If we do that, we die. If we do that, you die. If you, we do that, you die. You know, like everything they do is so like about surviving. And I, that, that scene really struck me as, you know, when you're a kid, you're just like, eh, blah, 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 blah. But now you're like, oh my God, that, Totally. The screenwriter like nailed it. And then just to say one of the things that uh, for the, you were talking about beautiful shots. Every shot is beautiful. Every one. Do you remember the courier scene when they're, when they're, they're, they're picking oh. up the guys trying to get the courier and yes. just sitting on the wall and in the background, it's dawn, you know, it's just like the dawn is just coming up behind them. And it's like, they, they had how long just seeing it for a few seconds is gorgeous. It must've taken them a week to figure that out. You know what I mean? I, yeah, there's there's little stuff too that like popped up with me where you know the fact that that first scene that Duncan has with Cora where they have a lunch in the middle of fucking nowhere, um, <laughs> in the and, middle of a field. Yeah, in the middle of a field, and you're just kind of like, God, I'm just thinking about like the busser and the waiter that has to go and get that table and just traipse it back the 500 yards that it took to get out there. But again, like obviously that's <laughs> that's creative that's creative license, right? That's a beautiful shot that's like kind of being trying to be executed there. Uh, Dan, just weigh in on Michael Mann and any maybe shots or moments that kind of stuck out to you. Well, uh, Jeff, I love that you brought up uh, Dante Spinotti because I, I think that he's actually the mastermind behind this movie. I think that the, that if it weren't for him, like what I what I thought was so brilliant about especially like the first third of this movie was. He shot, like, we've got a lot of these locked off wide shots, but he makes them look like the illustrations from a James Fenimore Cooper book. Mm -hmm. Those old, like, those, like, man, in the very beginning when they're running through the woods and, and they've got these, like, sun streaks coming down. But again, we're locked off and we're wide. So these these figures are sort of far away from camera, but and they're these small figures, but we we're focused on them so much. I I just I thought that the shooting of this was incredible. And Jeff, you're right. Like I never would have thought about that as a kid watching never today as I watch movies and I've been a part of a few. I'm like, oh wow, wow how did they do this? How did they get this shot? Um, that bridge shot is incredible in my opinion when they're first oh. coming across it. It's so beautiful. It's so still, it's so quiet. It sort of is like that quiet before the storm. That whole first third of the movie is like the illustration. Every shot is like one of those illustrations from a Fenimore Cooper novel, you know? And uh, I think that, and that type of stuff I think really allows, I mean, to just, I mean, I love it to pieces, but when they just hammer you over the head with the score, uh, it means something, right? It isn't. It isn't a sense of overkill. It's really trying to do something very specific. And when we do talk about the very end, the way that Michael Mann uses this score 
to really sell the last part of the movie. You know what I mean? There isn't no great line or great speech at the end of this movie. It is all just action and this score that kind of rides through it. I, yeah, we'll, and we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. I will find you. I will find you. I will find you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's dive into some of the characters real quick. The first one we're going to do is I want to front it like this. And Paige, if you want to go first, um, Duncan versus Magua. Bigger foe. Ooh. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, the the big bad of the movie is Magua. Um, Duncan. Dun- I, I was I was thinking about Duncan a lot because you posed this question in that email, and I I was I I, I noticed I've noticed this before too. You when you first see Duncan, he he's a great guy. He yeah. ar- argues with General Webb. He's like, hey, hey, that doesn't seem like what we do here. I mean, what is this? You, you know, you show that he's an honorable man, and then just his like his lust, you know, gets in the way, like his, his jealousy and just, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's into Cora so hard and she doesn't, she doesn't share that love with him. So that like taints it and it takes it away for a minute. And then by the end, as we know, you know, he, it comes back and he's like, my compliments to you, you know, and sacrificed himself to save them. And, and, and finally him and, and Hawkeye are on the same page, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're like the same dude, just in different worlds. And one of us is, you know, attached. We're bo- they're both honorable men is what I'm getting at. Uh, uh, Magua has been abused and beaten down and has been in a painful, shitty life. And, and th- so with him, there's some, there's some empathy and sympathy and all that for him too. Like he is just, he was born in a world of blood and, and this is how it's affected him. You know, he didn't have the kind, loving parents that Hawkeye had and that, that Duncan probably had. And so th- there's... If you're like if you're putting them pairing them together, I feel like they're both adversaries, but one of them comes from a place of you know of like you know a tortured youth, and one of them comes from a place of he's been put in a situation where he's his honor is questioned by his his feelings and his emotions. You know what I mean? Well, right, yeah. There's there's a jealousy versus revenge going on, and I, you hit yeah. on something where I kind of I do have strange empathy towards Magua's character more so than I do Duncan's Jeff just weigh in on the dynamic of the two because uh, Magua obviously seems to be the, the the foe but throughout it I'm kind of watching it and Duncan I don't know Duncan I mean he does kind of come correct in the very end but he's not a good guy I don't think throughout this entire movie no he's really not and he's to me he's my favorite character in the movie because he's what a what a performance by that guy I mean it's it's quite a role to play and he uh, he, he he does you know you say he's you mentioned early on page that he had honor but he really it's all about the crown i mean that's what yeah. he's saying he's like the yeah. crown is in control here this yeah, yeah. this middle this country, finger to america yeah exactly this country belongs to us and i thought looking back i was going to be excited to see his journey but his journey is he's a dick and then he just at the last minute changes uh he even says this really got me watching it i watched it two times back to back and the second time yeah, i maybe. caught that when they get into the big battle and they get into the canoe the canoe chase sequence notice that he's in a canoe by himself he's left the women he's gone uh... he got the f out of there man and he says when he sees hawkeye which by the way can we also talk about it was yesterday when i found out that character's name is hawkeye I had no idea he's nathaniel he, they, they, many they, names i'm a long carabine yeah, it's nathaniel and then one day they they, they then right at the end the uh, credit show him as hawkeye i was like i had no idea you were a avenger um yeah he's gone he's gone in the canoe and he starts yelling at daniel day lewis he's like yeah i'm gonna hang you later it's like bitch you ran out 
on the women. Daniel Day-Lewis is the one that saved them. And then when they get behind the um, the uh, waterfall, when they decide to leave, he's like, coward. I was like, you're the coward. I hate that guy. But man, oh, man, does he crush it in that translation sequence between the yes. holy God, is that a performance? I'm yeah. sorry. Just again, as acting, Dan, I know we're all actors here. When that man is standing there translating in French between Magua and Hawkeye, that is an amazing sequence. He's he wins he wins the movie for me in that sequence. Yeah, I, I, on rewatch, and Dan, I want you to hop in. Is just the thing that kind of struck me is that Duncan has a death wish, and that's a dangerous, dangerous character in the movie. From the very mm. beginning, I, I'm with you. You know, he's he's all about the crown, and he's all about screw America. You know, British policies make the world England. And as we kind of move along, you sort of see that, like, whether you want to call it honor or pride or the soldiers, the soldiers' pride. Every single moment, he's willing to die. I mean, even in that one moment when they're just negotiating terms, yep. he's like, well, my men would have fought to the very end instead yeah, of sitting yeah. in a prison cell. He's trying to actually goad him into a full-on, let's just all die right here, even if we're outnumbered. And even then towards the end, his decision as you know, as you know, altruistic or virtuous as we want to make it is something that he's been kind of gunning for this whole movie of just, you know, just take me, burn me alive. I'm willing to be the person to put myself out there, to be the soldier that is out there on the pyre to save other people. And I just found that to be really interesting for an adversary where Magua, he wants to live. He wants to kill everyone in his path and he wants to start a new family and he wants to have power and prestige and he wants to move on and live on. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. Which one which character is really more dangerous in this whole thing? Is it the guy with the death wish or the guy that's just looking for the one thing on revenge and kind of move on? You know, non dependent on how much damage is done in the movie. Dan, just uh, to weigh in on Duncan versus Magua a little bit and what you thought of uh, you know, just Duncan's character. Because it is really an underrated character throughout the film. Well, I don't know how underrated he is. I mean, he's he's a he's a linchpin in in the movie. Uh, he kind yeah, of he's he's not on the poster, is what I'm saying. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, it's interesting because Magua to me, I I, I agree with the panel here. Magua to me is a sympathetic character. I get where he's coming from. I understand the rage for gray hair. Gray hair slaughtered his family in front of him. You know. Um. I, so I get that. What happens to Magua is when he gets his revenge, he likes how it feels and, and it turns him, right? He's not, he's no longer the, the, um, the benevolent revenge person. He has tasted blood now and it's turned something in him. So Magua, while I follow, while I track his story through the movie, I'm like, I get it. I get where he's coming from. He's doing some shady shit, but I'm totally behind him and why he's doing it. And then all of a sudden, when he's talking to the leader of the Huron and he becomes enraged that the, the Huron's not going to do what he's done, he's like, I need you to tell me that I'm a great, a great warrior and a great war leader and everything like that. I'm like, oh, no, your ego's taken over. And now you're no longer the sympathetic character anymore. You turn somewhere. And with Duncan, it's interesting that they give the white man the the like turn at the end to, to for the saving opportunity to to save the, their character and themselves, because you're right, Duncan. This whole movie, I'm just like fuck this guy. This guy's weak. He's led yeah. totally by his emotions. He throws a Madeline Stowe under the bus in front of her dad when he's like, "You're infatuated with this guy." He gets like, ambushed oh. twice. 
Two yeah, ambush, what? 0 for 2 on ambushes. Fuck this guy, man. <laughs> Fuck this guy so hard. You're right, Jeff. Like, getting into the canoe and telling, and then the women not the, the women want to stop. Like, uh, he's like, yeah. no, this is the Fuck. horrible place to stop. He's like, the women want to stop. Fuck <laughs> that guy. And you're, and you're absolutely right, Jeff. Like the acting in that translation scene, holy shit, man. And and the look back when Daniel Day Lewis says, "Did you tell him?" And he looks at him and he says, "Yeah, I told him." Don't worry. Yeah, and that's the scene, right? Oh, man. That scene is so good. What a fucking scene. But I, you know, I don't know. Like, Magua loses me in the end, but he had me the whole movie. And I don't really give a shit about Duncan enough to care that he, turn, that he turns good at the end. I, I feel like that's still motivated by selfish reasons at the end. So, you know, yeah. I, I guess I'm team Magua on this one. Uh, let's let's hit uh, let's hit one more topic and then we're going to get into Daniel Day Lewis and we're going to talk about the ending, which is where we all came here to do on this podcast. Is those two things? I just want to talk about Madeline Stowe really quick. I just want to get everyone's take on her performance. I have a confession to make, and I'm not proud of it. In the '90s, Madeline Stowe, I didn't really find her very attractive or very what? interesting. I did not. I did. She just did not do it for me. If anything, I was probably more Team Alice than I was Team Cora growing up as a kid. But I have to tell you, as a grown man who's seen many a film and loves this movie very much. Madeline Stowe is so beautiful and is such the epitome of like strength, but she has all these emotions going on in her face at the exact same time. I mean, she, yeah, she has like a thousand words in her expressions all in this one moment. Jeff, just go first. Let's just talk about Madeline Stowe because she ended up having a great run in the 90s. This was kind of sort of the beginning of it. And then, you know, she ripped off a couple of really good movies, 12 Monkeys, you know, what is it, another stakeout. She did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I went I caught myself yesterday when I was going on IMDb and do my deep dive with this movie. I caught myself spending the most time on Madeline Stowe. I'm not sure why. And I think it's because exactly what you're talking about. She's a bit of she did get caught. She never became Michelle Pfeiffer. We know Michelle Pfeiffer's name like nobody's business. We know Holly Hunter and Sharon Stone and Jamie Lee Curtis and all of them. Why do I name all of those actresses? Annette Benning and Madonna? Because they were all born in 1958. And I lost my mind last night when I figured that out. Because wow, great year. I re crazy year, right? Kevin <laughs> yeah. Bacon was also born that year. Um, this was, to me, it was always Madeline Stowe or Andy McDowell. Who do you go with? And mm. again, looking on IMDb last night, who was up for this role? Andy McDowell. And I feel like the two of them were interchangeable in the 90s and the late 80s and 90s. And then their careers just, I mean, Madeline Stowe got that show she was on forever on ABC. What was, I think it was called Revenge. And that, that, yeah. that was her last, you know, however many years. But yeah, man, she worked with everybody. She worked with the biggest of stars. I mean, she was in, uh, uh, what's the Tom, uh, the Tom Cruise movie. She was not in a Tom Cruise movie. She was in the Jack Nicholson movie, The Two Jakes. She, yes. which was, the, you know, she did, like you said, she was in Shortcuts, Stakeout. And just quick interjection, opposite some of the greatest male actors of all time we're talking about here. Jack Daniel Nicholson, Lewis, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yep, Kevin yeah. Costner, Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, Stallone, Kurt Russell, Ed Harris, Richard Dreyfuss, Travolta. I mean, she played, I was fascinated by her. And yet she's, I'm sure there's young people today that don't know who she is. And that's fascinating. She was also, remember Revenge? Do you remember that movie, Revenge? Uh, yeah. oh, that yeah. was it. This I, I don't know. If it, it's a Tony movie. Scott movie. It's exactly Top yes. Gun sequel. It's about a, an ex fighter pilot, and she's the love interest in that, and she's 
incredibly beautiful in it. So I don't know. My answer is, I don't know what to say about her. We love her in this movie. This is probably her most famous movie, right? I think, maybe. No, maybe. 12, 12 Monkeys, maybe? Maybe I, I, I 12 don't know. Monkeys. But I'm 12 Monkeys, sure. is that a rewatchable compared to this one? Like, do you watch 12 Monkeys or this? You watch this, right? Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. what to say about her. I'm fascinated yeah, pa- by her. Paige, hop in on Madeline Stowe. I was just so impressed because sometimes these movies sort of yada yada um, characters in peril. And I feel like her performance really sells the concept of you believing in her surviving and her getting each each goalpost of this movie. She's on top of it. And of course, she gets one of my favorite lines in the movie. The world is on fire, which how many people can sell that line? Right. That's a Madeline Stowe like checkmark in itself. That's such a crazy line to pull off. And she does it. Uh, Paige, weigh in on Madeline. Stowe. Yeah. Yeah. In in regards to uh, what you're saying, as far as the character goes, the, her Cora and Hawkeye are the the bridges between these two worlds, right? They're the people who kind of walk the line, I guess. She's from one side, he's from the other, but they both kind of understand that there's, that, 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 you know, like the world's on fire. There's no, there's a middle ground and there's a way to bridge, but they don't, it doesn't work out for anybody except really, I guess, kind of them. Um, But there's, there's a scene in it that I, that always gets me. And it's when she's being very like, standoffish to him and he, they're they're in like the they're they're like in the hospital in the fort and he just kind of walks away and then stands around and it turns around and just kind of stares at her you know like he's just very like he's very native in that way just like this yeah. is what i want i'm gonna stare at it you know and she does this thing where she's like what are you looking at you know like what are you looking at sir you know like fuck you and he's just like well i'm looking at you miss and then she has this moment of where she can't look him in the eye and then she kind of you know slowly comes up and then she slowly sort of melts into this yeah, I, I, yeah, you're pretty hot, you know, and I, yeah, I'm into you. And you know what I mean? Like, as an actor, I, I found that to be this really brilliant scene of just, she doesn't say much at all. If, if not, she doesn't really say anything. She just lets this emotion wash over her and you can see it in her eyes. And by the end of the scene, she smiles at him, you know, in this really, really like authentic way. And when I see stuff like that, I, I'm, I'm with you guys, Jeff. I'm, I'm like, what, where, why wasn't she more of the, the big yeah. star? What, what happened? Like what, why wasn't she like snatched out of the ether and, and became this big, I mean, I shouldn't say she's, she is a huge star. I mean, really, I mean. It's, it's just weird. It's just this weird, yeah. she didn't become Michelle Pfeiffer. She just was the wife. And she's got that voice, you know, yeah. that, that deeper voice that's just so sexy, you know? Uh, and I, but anyway, that th- Michael Mann gave her a vehicle to show how fucking dynamic she is, you know, and how really, really wonderful she, when they kiss on the, the ramparts, you know, it's just such a like letting go, sexy, like animal thing. It's just yeah, dude. You're, you're oh, nailing you're nailing on something that she does such a great job of executing. Like, uh, not to be like too metaphorical about it, but like she has this protective layer, like a fort surrounding her because yeah. she is a woman, and it is an incredibly dangerous situation. And she's one of the few women in that particular situation. And for him to her to have that exchange with Danny Day Lewis, it's her like opening up the gates to allow her to like be herself for like two seconds and that's what is attractive to her that's why she's attracted to him because they have that actual human connection in a world where you just need to have your guard up the entire time like that's a really interesting point and she sells it like so well uh dan you know i mean what else can we say i mean just be a little clean up here on some madeline stowe you know anything we left off about how great she is and how great her performance was yeah i'm i I concur with the panel again i mean i think she's incredible in this movie and i think also in a movie about a time period where women were sort of viewed as just damsels in distress and a, a burden might be too harsh of a word, but 
a thing with which we must protect all the time and have our eyes and ears on at all times to make sure that they aren't hurting or getting in the way or what, you know, she wasn't given that role in this movie. She was actually given us quite the spine in this movie where she brings out the pit. She steals the pistol as they're walking away from the, the road. She brings out the pistol when they're at the, at the burial ground. She stands her ground against her father. Justice? I'll tell you what justice is. <laughs> uh, uh, she she shit, shits on, on Duncan. She throws it right back to him. I mean, I think she's fantastic in this movie um and you know i i I mean we can all sit around and wonder why she didn't become but maybe she didn't want to you know maybe it's just as simple as that maybe she was like yo i've gotten to work with the coolest actor like so i'm not going to go take a paycheck money grab on some bullshit you know dick and fart joke comedy that might get me into the ether a little bit, you know, whatever. Maybe well, also, can I, th- can I throw out there too, is like, you know, we, we have these conversations all the time and we're talking about them more now than ever about like, you know, uh, diversity in roles and equality in men and women and stuff. Maybe there just weren't any roles, female roles out there that were, that were built for someone of her caliber. Does that make any sense? You know what I mean? Like the 12 monkeys character, she does that movie because she has to do so many different roles, not just, you know, uh, the whole like cat and mouse game with Bruce Willis is he for real is he not but she has to ho- carry the whole story of the dread that's coming with this whole like the whole situation and I'm trying to think of movies right now in my head of like mm, you know what lead could she have popped into that like would have been better you know I was like I thought of Heat you know could she have played you know De Niro or Macaulay's you know love interest but man that's a small role right like that's not exactly something that Madeline Stowe does I can't think like off the top of my head Jeff hop in well, you're, but here's the thing. I'm making that argument because I think I wanted her to be as big as a Sharon Stone, let's say, you know what I mean? Uh, but the truth is that between her and Andy McDowell, they did, they, they made up the majority of these movies of the 90s. And they're some of the most memorable movies, Groundhog Day, uh, uh, you know, Four Weddings and a Funeral. And then we forgot about, I don't know if you remember the movie Unlawful Entry that was with Kurt Russell and Ray Liotta. Did you guys see that one? It's the oh, one wait, where, uh, where she disappears, right? Uh, wait, no. That's, no, no, uh, Unlawful Entry is the one where she's married to Kurt Russell, but Ray Liotta is a cop that falls in love with her. And they, they she makes the... Um, the secure he sets up the security in their house and the word the security code was pyramid and that was my security code for the first like, <laughs> five years because I was such a nerd for movies so I mean so maybe she was a huge star she, you're right though it just might not have been enough female roles I mean we can talk about the 90s were ruled by men so yeah. she and did thinking- I mean she did these badass movies and you know who jumped on her spot was probably Julia Roberts, right? Because like the Pelican yes. Brief and Sleeping with the Enemy, those are probably there Madeline Stowe roles. Hey, good point. There I'm is. just thinking now, maybe Julia Roberts goes over the drama side. Um, let's dive into the meat and potatoes here, real quick. Just a quick. Uh, I was just gonna say real quick before we do move in, and I know we sort of touched on it, but you can see on her IMDb that she sort of transitioned from movies and then was and then went to TV. Yeah. I, you know who knows if that was her call or if. She wasn't getting the calls anymore from movies and, and agents and people were like, all right, well, if you want to work, we got to do TV now. And made that, you know, back then a movie started TV was an easy, like if they, if movie stars wanted to go to TV, TV was like, fuck yes, please come in here. So maybe that, maybe that's what happened was she was just like, you know what, I'm done with these big motion pictures. I want a solid, consistent paycheck over and over and over again. Give me seven seasons, 23 episodes. Let me make this chatter. You know what I mean? Like, and she did. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, before we move on to the big topic here, just a little cleanup on Isle Frontier. Um, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the British infantry, a lot of great actors running around this thing, right? Like a Peter Postaway jumps out of there. Cole Meany pops up out of nowhere. Dylan Baker. A lot of guys that went on to have some really amazing, significant roles were hey, just Dan. guys escorting people from one place to another. Dan, hop in. You know who I'm going to say? Jared Harris. Oh no! Oh, and, oh yeah, right. Jared, Jared Harris, Harris is in this. Yeah. You, know, you know, Tim Hopper's in this though. Oh, and Tim Hopper. Yeah. Tim Hopper, who's a Stephen, who's a Stephen Wolf ensemble member. Yeah, yeah, you're a patriot. Yes, of course. Uh, the fantastic way. And um, my wife gets a real kick out of Daniel D. Lewis saying "Kentucky." Uh, as oh, that's we, the best part. The best part. Was, yeah, because we're just a bunch of Yankees motherfuckers over here that just change everything uh, from a couple hundred years ago. Uh, let's do. Let's do it. We're going to talk about Daniel Day Lewis. It is time. Now, I've had this theory for a very long time, and I think a lot of people view him as the greatest film actor of all time. And they say, man, there isn't a role that he can't do. But you know what? Daniel Day Lewis, he doesn't do commercial stuff. Daniel Day Lewis is not an action hero. I say, uh, oh, contraire. <laughs> so before we get started in this, we're going to go around real quick. I asked you guys to bring in. Just in your mind, when you watch a movie, a couple of hu a couple of qualities that you see that automatically say action hero to you. So, Dan, if you'd like to go first, you know, when you think action hero in a movie, what are just a couple of things, a couple of tropes that usually come to mind? Uh, long hair, flowing. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Some, some sort of, like, uh, need to get back to the woman, whatever that is going to be. You know, I've got to go away from you, but don't worry, I will return. Some, some version of that line. Uh, definitely shirtless running or shirtless something. Um, uh, and always being, like, a step ahead of the plot. A step ahead of the plan and the plot. That's that's a great one. Those are some great examples. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's checking a couple of boxes so far. Uh, Jeff, you know, when you think of action heroes in movies, a couple of things that come to mind for you. Well, you know, I'm an expert on 90s action fair, uh, heroes. I mean, this is literally all I did was watch these movies. And I think, is there anybody else that just took the lead like Daniel Day-Lewis? All the rest of these guys, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Willis, all of them, you know, Jean-Claude, Steven Seagal, they, that's what they did. This man does one and he does it better than everybody else. I mean, I think his next movie after this was the age of innocence. I mean, that's like true. this dude went and crushed it. Here's the deal. You got to have a shattered past. You got to have a past mm -hmm. where a parent died. Somebody left you something horrible happened to you. And this man, of course, you know, his family dies when he's young and he gets raised by uh, the Mohicans and, and becomes this, um, I mean, He's yeah, he's unbelievable in it. And you got to be a lover, no matter what, no matter how many people you can kill and you can kill people really quickly. But you got to make sure that in that moment you can sniper. Let's not forget how many people he murdered right before he made love to her, like right before <laughs> he snipered a lot of humans. And then he got his ass up there and crushed. So uh, you got you to be able to, to do, do that. What a wonderful uh, walkthrough of the timeline. Like, you know, where were you? Where are you coming from, honey? Uh, I, you know, I murdered seven people oh, at long range. Yeah. One of them was from 300 yards. Uh, so I yeah, got that going for me. You uh, me 40 extra yards on this bullet. Uh, yeah. Paige, real quick before we get into Daniel Lewis, a couple of a uh, couple of traits that you always need to see in your action hero. Okay, well, here's you guys nailed it. But here's here's a little deep cut that I was thinking about. In a lot of action movies, there's okay, you got the hero. But then there's like the real superpower, you know, that's sort of there. And I was, I was watching this movie and I was thinking about this. 
is is Hawkeye the action hero of this, or is Chingachgook? You know, and when you watch it at the end, when they're running through, when they're oh, running, his brother, yeah, his father, yeah, his father, yeah, his, his father. His right. father. yeah. And then you see, like, you know, throughout the movie, he kicks ass, he kicks ass, but at the end, when he rolls through those guys, he like, and, and his son is a badass. His his son Uncas is a badass, and Uncas gets his ass kicked. You know, he he cannot take Magua. Magua just fucks him up. But then when Magua faces, when in Magua fairness, faces, in fairness, Unka has just taken on like nine dudes, true. and then but Magua he is nine deep. Magua that's is, true. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, yeah. way out of his league with Magua. Is all I'm saying. But when, but then when Shingachgook takes him on, it's t- a touchless fight. He doesn't even he doesn't even get a hair on Shingachgook's head. Magua doesn't even like breathe on him. Can we talk yeah, he, about he, his? He steals weapon? your move, Paige. Paige, oh. he steals your move. The roll and then the, the hit the back. I've seen you do that in comedy clubs a lot. I've seen <laughs> yeah. you do that many times. I've seen Dan do it on the dance floor a few times myself. <laughs> Can we talk about his weapon? Oh, whatever that weapon that, is, that out weapon. of nowhere. It's yeah. a tree trunk. It's a tree trunk with a fucking axe on one end and just a blunt object on the other. I mean, and 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 he's real romantic about it because he teases it early in the movie. He's got that beautiful axe throw that just oh. like plants that dude right right smack down on the thing. And it is really funny that uh, all these little crumbs, these little storylines, that kind of get told throughout this movie. Another one, one of them's Alice. Another one is first scene in the movie. Uncas is like, "When are you going to get married? He's too old to be going out with you, Chingak." And he's like, "Well, whatever, whatever." And the whole thing is about trying to, you know, maybe get him to settle down and maybe not like, always be running through the range all the time as a fur trapper. And then it kind of hits you in the very end. You go, holy shit, this guy is the last Mohican. Yeah, it's the, exactly. It's, it's, it's the father. You know what I mean? Like the power above Captain Marvel or whatever. You know what I mean? He's like, you're like, oh, my God, as badass as Hawkeye is, he learned it all from his adopted dad. And his dad has that plus 10. You know, he's like on his card, his abilities are all higher. And, and, and then when you see that at the end, you're like, it's like the old man is the one who's really the, the sort of understated action hero of the movie. And, and that, I love that ending. I just love that, that, that they gave you that, you know, I mean, it's in the book too, but it's way better, I think, in Michael Mann's version. Yeah. So the case for Daniel Day-Lewis as a Hall of Fame action hero, uh, within the first 20 seconds of this movie, he is leaping. He literally, there's a shot of him leaping, soaring through the air. And then, I don't know, here's what I've got so far. Uh, that checks the mark in my box for action heroes. Uh, he gets amazing one-liners. He gets close-ups firing a gun. He has a sprint montage. He's a guy to find the odds. He's wildly outnumbered. He breaks rules. He's the he's the only one of something, as in you know the only the white man among whatever. Uh, he's a loner. He has the biggest gun of anyone else in the movies. <laughs> I said, suck my balls, Schwarzenegger. He's shirtless. He's got long hair. Kurt Russell, Mel Gibson, watch out. And then he shoots two fucking guns <laughs> at one point in this movie. Jeff, I mean, come on, real quick. You know that that right there, that's your certificate on the wall. That's the diploma of action hero thing when you shoot two guns in a movie and he gets that's it done. It. That's it. So, of course, the only person who who kind of rivals that even slightly is uh, Costner in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, when he fires two arrows at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it perfectly splits. <laughs> gotta do it. I gotta do it. And then, yeah, he gets he gets action lines. So here's the part. Now, let's really get into this Daniel Day-Lewis performance because greatest actor of all time, right, can take a text and, and wield it. He actually gets action hero type lines in this movie. One line zingers like, in case your aim's better than your judgment. And I ain't your scout, and I ain't your damn militia. And also, he walks into the surgeon tent and goes, about done holding hands with Miss Monroe? We got some work to do. 
And then the final one is someday we're going to have a serious disagreement. I think those are action. Those are classic action. Well, we kind of face to the north and real sudden, like turn left. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, so, I mean, Dan, hop in first on this one. Like, clearly it's Daniel Day-Lewis, method actor. You read all the stuff about how he lived in the woods and trying trap furs and all the stuff for months (laughs) at a time getting ready for the role. But, Dan, I mean, dude, this is an action hero role played by one of the greatest actors, if not the greatest actor of all time. I, I agree. And he crushed it. I, he crushed it. Well, I like coming well, off I, my left foot too. I don't think he did anything really in between. Right. Cause he had to live in the woods for six months. This movie must've taken close to a year to shoe. So he wraps, he wins an Academy award. I think he did one other thing that no one even knows about. And then he does this. And he goes, well, before he goes, I, if you read that Jeremy strong article, you learned that he goes into the woods to build the houses because that's what this guy would have done. Right. Hurts himself, falls off of a ladder, hurts himself, and they're like, how about you don't try and build any of this anymore? We'll give you some wood to cut. <laughs> so he's just like, now he's in the woods just like cutting wood. Yeah, yeah Dan, I mean, do you think he actually gets hit when he's walking up uh, walking up to the scene and he's going to try and save Cora's life? Do you think he's actually getting smacked there, or do you think that's still staged? Probably. Yeah, probably, probably, right? Probably. I, want you to, I want you to really hit me. I want you to really, really, yeah. really hit me on this one. Yeah. I was just going to say, even things like, I will find you, uh, you know, could be the corniest, cheesiest line ever. Uh, but he, he manages to make it work inside of, like you, Jeff, you were saying, a waterfall <laughs> with a fucking waterfall behind him. Waterfall. Yeah, no, he's he's on a different level than anybody. Definitely else. something that does completely go unnoticed, which I think I've talked about with Dan before, which is concussion protocol that just doesn't exist over the last thirty years of actions movies. When he walks into the Huron uh, village, he gets not only does he get a laceration across his chest, which could have been a deep wound, but yeah, then he gets hit by a blunt force object, uh, and he's fine. He's fine. That's Indeed that's that's the Bruce Willis. That's the walking on glass scene for him, basically. Yeah, after, right? he's the head, after he's hit in the head, he gives this amazing, well thought out speech. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not <laughs> he's like on it still. Oh man, he would have gone into the tent. He would have pulled out of the game and probably not been able to play for the next two weeks. But there is well, something, at- there's something really remarkable about that scene too, about him walking through with that peace rope and just knowing like. They're going to come and try and get me to get violent. That's what they're doing is they're trying to entice him to violence so they can kill him because he's an outsider, right? So he's just walking through knowing this shit's coming. Takes the, They can only hit him once, you know, takes the one thing that they give him and then continues on. There's something incredibly powerful in my mind about that. And uh, I've seen this movie a thousand times and I've either forgotten it or it dawned on me. My favorite part about the whole I will find you thing is Madeline Stowe says that to him first. Yeah. Right. That is like a, it's like a Han Solo princess. Like, I love you. I know almost kind of thing. She says, I will find you in the jail no matter what. And that's his kind of love language back to her. So as famous as that line is, that actually is something that is said by her first in the movie, which I find so interesting. Danny Hoppin. You're absolutely right, Joey. And I just want to bring up one tiny little criticism that I have with the movie. They both can fit their head through the slats on the jail, which means that he could have just slipped right on through the ball. <laughs> she puts her head all the way through to lean on his chest, and he does the same at one point. And I was like, oh, he could just walk right out of this thing. <laughs> Um, Paige, I want you to hop in on Daniel Day-Lewis, um, a, a great performance, an action hero type performance. And, and you know, like a guy that actually pulled off something that we've all done before on a date 
We've all told the sun, the mother uh, gave birth to the stars, and we've all told the, you know, <laughs> spat the stars out of the sky from her breast. We've all told that story before. It's never worked for us, but yet it works for him. And kudos to him, Paige, on that. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely, man. He, I'll say this. I, none of us, nobody in the world, probably even him, can get in the head of Daniel Day-Lewis and why he does things and what he thinks. But I, I would say, I would bet you that he, he didn't even think of it as an action movie. You know, they're, they're probably putting scripts in front of him and he liked it. And it was like, oh, I get to live in the woods and eat raw elk and smoke raw tobacco and live this life and be in this world. It's a great script also. But I was just thinking like, does, does he consider an action film? Does he think of it as like that? Because it definitely ends up being he's an action hero. But I, I can only imagine that a guy with his sensibility would be like oh, argue that it wasn't you know and and um as as good as he is in it, it it was a good way for him to do something really cool and and just have the experience of a lifetime that was well for one of us it would be i guess for him no it's a, it's a great point because i've always i've never looked at it that way i mean i thought the movie is just this you know sweeping romantic drama you know told on the frontier land but as i go back you just all the check marks are there the zingers mm -hmm. The slow motion gunshots, you know what I mean? Like it's all there that are all, you know, major, major tropes of action heroes from the past. He probably learned those languages. He probably he probably didn't just learn oh, the for sure. He knew the language, you know, it wasn't just his couple of lines. He speaks another language. Also, also let's think too, in 92, Dan DDL was not DDL at that point. You know, like Daniel Day-Lewis was still, he was had won an Academy Award for My Left Foot, but like he wasn't, yeah the goat at that point you know like we weren't all like oh daniel day lewis uh uh and so I, I you know i think he knew that this was supposed to come out in the summer this this was geared to be a an action flick a sweeping epic maybe not action but a sweeping epic right a, a, a la uh, gone with the wind or a la some you know well, they, yeah, to Jeff's, Jeff's point, they wanted it to be a blockbuster. I mean, that's what yeah, this was Lawrence, really It's, it's, a, Lawrence, it's a Lawrence of Arabia. It's a, it's a Gone with the Wind. It's these big sweeping, you know, Chariots of Fire, or uh, ben, not Chariots of Fire, Ben-Hur. It's, it's a big sweeping epic historical drama that he got to be an action star in. But I, I think he must have known that there were action elements. Michael Mann released in the summer, running shirtless through the woods. I don't know. But it, hold on a second. Again, you say Michael Mann. Michael Mann was not Michael Mann at this point. That's this true. Was, that's, true. That's, that's true. That's what makes this so even more exciting is, is yeah. just this how this movie got made, how much money was spent on this movie, how big of an epic it was. And you got this director who's not the biggest director. Yes, you got an Academy. I mean, yeah, he won the Academy Award, but we're, we've seen it before. Uh, what's her face who, who just played Captain Marvel? She won her Academy Award, but she wasn't an action star yet. You know, it's like that. This was a big take to make him do this and let me also make the argument joey has there ever been a sexier action star all the action stars i named before no one really cared about watching them make love when he makes love to her in this movie that shit is hot like well, let's look we're four dudes here nobody's crushing it like ddl does in that movie no, I no. mean, there's st the stolen glances. Like, I mean, there's night oh. sparks, there's surgeon sparks. I mean, like, and it's she it's can't deal with herself. She literally can't deal with how attracted she is to him. But like, that's she the is difference, right. That's the difference is all those other action stars that we talked about 
focus on the action. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Bruce Lee, they care about the action. Daniel Day-Lewis cares about the relationships. Yes, and Ooh, I was going to say, so on, your point, on your point, Dan, this particular action movie has super, super deep themes. We talked about it earlier. There's war, there's worlds coming together, there's, you know, the... the Tyranny, the, yeah, all sorts of... Stuff. of an entire people, you know, what's going on. That's not just... I'm going to get out of this hockey rink if I have to do kill every bad guy alive to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so wait, is this, um, hockey is this on is this unabashedly Daniel Day Lewis's sexiest movie? Because obviously he's a man who later in his career became more of a person that would transform himself. There was some earlier, you know, I'm thinking age of innocence. Is that really like check a box yeah. there? Is this Daniel Day Lewis's sexiest role? You know what I mean? As an actor? I don't know, man. I Lincoln was pretty hot. <laughs> Um, no, the time is it, now, and Jeff went. Oh, oh the time God. is now. <laughs> oh, and his wife. No, York, he's got that animalistic sex appeal, maybe you know, but it's not like this. Yeah, not like this. No, May, no, maybe the Crucible or the box. Uh, maybe the no, the boxer. He was just like that's IRA, in the name yeah. of the Father. I'm yeah. looking at the list. No, this yeah. is the sexiest thing. This is his by far. Well, he does in the name of the Father. He does have a really cool scene where he's smoking dope for the first time and has sex with a girl up in this like dirty flat in Ireland. Yeah, no. There's nothing. There's nothing <laughs> hot like, about. <laughs> Northern Ireland in the oh, 80s man. is just not hot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got a big truth that's self-evident right now going with me after that. <laughs> oh, doctor, doctor. Uh, let's get to it. Let's wrap it up, you guys. The end sequence. Uh, I watched it again this morning. I, I pretty much, for me personally, the end sequence begins with the waterfall scene in my opinion, of the I Will Find You, which then opens up into an Enya-like uh, song, which then goes into the, uh, obviously, the negotiation scene, which then leads towards the final amazing score, which is actually based off of a guy named Dougie McLean. The song is called The Gale, and they actually took that song and then incorporated that into the score on Michael Mann's request. That's why you see Trevor Jones and Randy Elliman having different scores. Um, I don't even know how to begin, guys. Maybe we'll just start here. I mean, just your reaction and how much you love it. I think it's probably one of the greatest final scenes or final acts, whatever you want to call it, to any action movie that I've ever seen in my life. And for a large part of that, after they leave the encampment, there is no dialogue. This is all just completely riding on that music and the action and all the things that are at stake there. Um, Jeff, man, if you just want to go first, like your feelings and your emotions when you see that scene, I get a lump I, in my throat still when I see it. It's crazy. I can't deal with myself. I like cannot deal with myself. I mean, if 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 the trope of the end of most films is a chase sequence, does it get fucking better than this? Like the mm. music is that violin. Dun, 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 dun. It's just the most incredible music. I forgot. You're right. You're absolutely right. There is no after that huge dialogue sequence with the Huron. After that, when they leave, there's no more. Uh, dialogue and 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 again i'll go back to this whole movie is a, just a giant movie of people hiking uh, intense <laughs> hiking and that is what this next sequence is they're just hiking they take and, and and again i never would have thought about this when i was a kid but poor alice is being taken away to what become his wife forever because they're going to kill Madeline Stowe, they wanted to agree upon that, but now she's just stuck. That poor child. And that so, so real quick, what's your take on what's your take on Alice? Uh, you know, why what, when you watch that movie, why do you think that she jumps? As let's just kind of leave it that. Oh, that's a big. So I thought about this. So I okay, let's talk about again. Let's just talk about the reality of the situation. The reason why we didn't get a love sequence between her and the brother is because her mom. She was underage. She was a young girl. She was truly a teenager. And the mom came onto set and was like, uh, uh. 
she is not doing any sex sequences. That is not hmm. happening in my world. So that's oh, wait, why you this don't. Is, this is a real. This, this is, is real. Yeah, the actress Alice was quite young. I believe she was only sixteen or seventeen years old when she made this movie. Yeah, her and name the is mom... Jody Jody May, and she's gone on to do a bunch of stuff. She's in The Witcher now. She was in Game of Thrones. She did a bunch yes. of shit. Yeah, yes, yes, and she. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That's true. She's in The Witcher. So yes, that's why we don't get any sex sequences or love sequences between her and the brother. Though I thought that was genius what they did. Just the remember his look too. Talk about a look when she's climbing up that rock and he just comes around the corner and looks at her. You're like, oh, that shit is on. But like these two are in love with each other. Um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. The final sequence, I have nothing more to say than I think it's my favorite ending to a movie. And I love action movies more than anything. And I don't think there's a better ending to a 90s action film than that. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah, I, I honestly, like after he lands that final blow into Magua's stomach, there's actually five more minutes of the movie that I barely remember half the time because I just black out. I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, kind of like, I'm blind. I'm blind with just being completely enthralled. And Magua's performance during that whole sequence where he's, where he gives just a little sympathy to her. Yes, uh -huh. the hands. And then the way he get when he gets his arm shattered by whatever that knife gun is that, that the dad's got. And his, he's just, <laughs> that whole sequence is so good. And yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis just killing a man, picking up a weapon, killing a man, picking up his weapon. Like just, oh, it's the best. Double barrel. And, and name another movie. Name another movie where the action star doesn't get the final kill. Like that's incredible. That's I don't what I mean. Maybe he isn't. You know that. That's the thing. He, that's he, what Paige he, was saying. He, he's just keeping. He's just keeping his dad alive while his dad is running toward this. To you know, like just to finish this fucking evil bastard off. And 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 you know, the end of the Hawkeye's just you know keeping him alive and picking guys off and it's it's like the the pace and the meter of it is is done so well that you can't help but get chills and like you said like a lump in your throat i mean it's it's sad it's it's super exciting it's all yeah. these things mixed into one so well that it's just like like you guys have been talking about a, a genius ending of genius endings in cinematic cinematic history and know? why does alice jump what do you think joey i mean i don't know i'm, I'm so, a little unsure i i you know my whole time you know my when i was growing up i thought it was kind of like um it was kind of a middle finger to magua of like you can't you can't have me you can't win so i'm opting out of this scenario and i'm cornered i'm all alone as i've gotten older and watched the movie there's a lot of i i'm kind of more on the fence of like in the beginning, again, she's like, I'm so excited for this adventure, you know, this naivety to it. And as she gets into this world that is so brutal, just the world that exists in that time, it's like Michael Mann's comment on that world and that war at that time of life was so brutal that it, it took this beautiful thing and it ground her into nothing and she didn't want to live anymore. There is that scene where she kind of goes towards the waterfall and it's kind Why? of awkward. Uncle yeah. kind of brings her back and holds her a little bit. And that always kind of makes you be like, is that her first thought of suicide? Is that her first thought of like, you know, getting it? And so I don't know, man, Dan, like hop in, like, you know, why do you, why do you think Alice jumps? Cause I'm kind of now on board of just like, she's just kind of a, she's in theory, kind of the audience of like, if you lived in this world, I don't think you would make it either kind of thing. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with you most of the way with that, Joey. I, I mean, I think that it was a world that was bifurcated much like our own world today of like, one side or the other and either you were fit for this frontier life or you weren't and i think that there was a romanticism about that frontier life where she fell into in the beginning she's like oh my god i'm so like everything you've been saying i'm so ready for this i'm so ready for this 
we get out into the thing. Oh my God, this is so cool. Look at how close we are to everything. Whoa, we're way too close. This is way too close to me. No, this is terrifying. I don't like this at all. This is awful. And then this is what the world actually is. Fuck this, I'm out. And, and I, guys, let, let's not forget what she saw. And, and, and mind you, this movie, I think, technically takes place over like three days. Like, it's very quick. From yeah. when, she, when she almost kills herself in the waterfall to then when she kills herself is merely a few hours. I think yeah. she saw two incidences where she saw mass murder. The first one when Magua kills, you know, when the, the first attack. And then the second attack where she might have seen her dad oh, get his heart wait, cut out. Let's, let's go back. Yeah. She saw mass murder when they first are going to Fort Henry. You right? know, like mass murder there they get yep. to fort henry and the french are just bombing the shit out of her dad yep. yeah i was gonna say if you're internalizing the text like she gets there and her dad's just like you know did you get my letter and everyone's like what letter and he's like did the troops are on their way and they're like what troops it's just like get there and like her dad's like fucked five ways to sunday yep. and she's just like oh man this is so bad you know what i mean she's looking at someone that she obviously looks up to and even he's screwed. Like Monroe gets fucked over so many different ways. He is so yes. out to lunch. He's so <laughs> out to lunch on the intel. He is like Monroe's, Monroe's, Monroe's a dick, though. Fuck that guy. Like honestly, fuck that guy. You know who's the ultimate dick, though? The ultimate dick of this movie that just is completely untalked about. Webb. Webb is a dick. <laughs> yeah. Webb yeah. left them high and dry, man. He's like, I'm not coming to help you. You guys yeah. are fucked. Well, there's no way I have enough people for that. <laughs> Dear Monroe, um, I thought about it and nah. <laughs> Best regards, Web. Page up in. Well, with Alice, they also I I always this was a question I kind of had for you guys. Do you remember the scene where they're where uh, Duncan comes in to talk to Cora, and Alice is sleeping and she gets yeah. up and is like, "I'm not gonna." Is that is okay? I, I when I was thinking about, it, I'm like, is this like some sort of something? Is she going through some sort of like menstruation, yeah. or something right there, or is it you know because she does? He kind of looks at her weird when she walks away, like shit. What did I do? Mm. But, or or is it this this sort of hint that she's like one a person in the film who's like that character who represents sort of the depressive side of people? Does she have like? I think she's traumatized. Maybe? I think she's fully. Tra I think this is full trauma, and and she just watched she just hiked through the woods and saw multiple people get murdered when this girl lived the highest class of life in yeah. london and that's, you know that's a really yeah. point jeff is that she was under the auspice that not any nothing like this could ever happen to her exactly you know, she's watched she's walking through the woods with an armed battalion guarding her and all of a sudden you know these things come out of the woods and murder everybody yeah five years yeah, earlier she needed a break don't and forget that she needed a break because she yeah, was on yeah. a horse. Right, right, and, right, right. And Michael Mann makes a point. Michael Mann makes a point to and any director would when you want to do a movie like this. Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm fucking doing this. He's like, he literally shows people getting scalped. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he shows yeah. people, you know, so he's brutalizing us the same way that like she probably right. goes through that experience too yeah. as well. Yeah, and going sorry. 0 for 2 on ambushes. I mean, God, <laughs> yeah. you just can't buy a fucking ambush bucket. Uh, you know, I got a feel for Alice on that one. It's like, well, where can I go? Where can I go without being ambushed somehow in some way? There is no clearing that is safe. Paige, hop in. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, her suicide like really doesn't come out of nowhere. They 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 give you the little they give you the little grains throughout it, you know, like you said, the trauma, you know, the the her her world being crushed, like her expectations of what her life is supposed to be, all that stuff is sprinkled in throughout. And it's it's not a surprise when she does it. It's like I'm not gonna live in with this guy who just killed the man that i love right in front of me and now he's gonna like what like bed me fuck this you know like it's it's done this is it that's the last straw and it's it, it they gave you is that. there a chance 
is there a slight chance that Magua pissed off? Now I'm just spitballing. We can stop at any point here. <laughs> that Magua took her away super quick out of the village, and she didn't see that Duncan actually stepped in for her sister. So she might even think that her sister got murdered. In that, uh, very, that she that she's alone. Yeah, that no one's coming for her. There's totally. a chance. Really good. That's a really good call. And when Unka shows up and dies, then she's like, then that's that's, that's it. it. That's it. Call it a day. F- follow up to that too is um, poor girl. Maybe it's like a maybe it's one of those uh, story like uh, nitpicks or whatever. But like, what happens to the rest of the Huron party, the war party after Magua dies? Do they just like keep walking and they're like, man, Magua just got our leader just got killed. And it's like, yeah, that was really weird. Like, Hawk, we should just probably just go home, right? Like, well, what do we doesn't do even have any bullets. He covers them and they stop. And he he's been he shot all he's he's covering them with an unarmed weapon at that point. So it's it's really they 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 buy into his bluff because Hawkeye is such a legend that they're like, well, you know what, we're good, we're good. You know what I mean? No, you don't want a butt gun to the nose. That's the worst. Shoot, but, I mean, Jeff, are you with me, man? Shoot me, shoot me all day, but like a butt gun to the to shoot the, me. Oh, that's another thing I've been thinking face. about again. Please don't stab me in the stomach. That looks awful. Some my son the other day, he clipped me with a fingernail, and I got so shocked. Could you imagine getting stabbed? No, shoot me, dead. Yes, Dan. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, I love that. <laughs> I love that the fingernail really got you. Uh, and I, I, I know that, and knowing you is to love you, Jeff. Uh, but knowing you, I do know that that fingernail would really put you down for a little while. It's stung, <laughs> man. I, I am thinking of like, you hear the, the score then come in and he like looks at it and he like, Jeff slow motion, like looks up and he's just like, like what happens next? You know, about the stabbing, I do just want to take one second to talk about how many times what magua stabs unka in that last like you just hear and the sound yeah oh you know they you know there's a wider shot to that right like man man definitely did the throat cut and probably did a lot more and they had to probably hey can you tighten that up a little bit for the rating right (laughs) maybe not though because on amazon right now what they have is the director's cut and the director's cut still is is face up so uh, maybe maybe there's not a wider shot on that one maybe the studio had seen the the rushes up to that point and they were like hey buddy your blood uh, your blood allowance is done <laughs> like by the way as usual this is one of those movies that was th- at least 3 hours long and of course the studio had to be like cut it way back but boy oh yeah the the, the, oh, the trivia the trivia on michael mann trivia on michael mann you were mentioning you know before he was michael mann you know this was just a psycho director doing 30ish takes per shot and there's a very fam- there's a very famous story that he was shooting a lot of doing a lot of night shoots, obviously, as we see in the movie. And at one point he uh, he called cut and he started screaming at his production crew because he saw a light in the shot. And he said, you know, turn that fucking light off. What the fuck's going on? And, he, and they nudge him and they go, Mr. Man, that's the sun. Uh, <laughs> the sun is coming up. And he goes, oh, uh, well, all right, then. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's how crazy and bare bones this thing was. Uh, we got to get out of here, guys. Just maybe, I don't know, final thoughts on Last of the Mohicans. Uh, Paige, if you want to go first. Well, it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times that I I, I mean, J- Joey and I, we when we were first doing sketch comedy, used to joke about making a uh, Last of the Mohicans one-man show. 
<laughs> remember that? And and, and I and it, honestly, we, it was a joke, but it was like oh, I'd be kind of kick ass, you know. <laughs> I, I I've seen it a million times. I love it. I love every part of it. I think it's just like, like I said earlier. It's one of those movies where, however they figured it out, they figured it out. There's no fat on it. The script is brilliant. The the action, the the, the showing of the the war, and and all of the beautiful love love interest moments in it really make it a, a 10 out of 10 in my opinion. And, and uh, thanks for letting me come on and talk about it, man. Paige, if I ever come into millions of dollars, I'm going to rent out a theater and have <laughs> you do it just to see you do, I will beat you from this fort. So <laughs> me and you are going to have a very serious disagreement. Just see you just do it. Just, just go half, half, okay. half on the costume. And really, uh, well, I'll put a lot of money into it. We'll get some great lighting. It'll be fantastic. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, final thoughts on the 1992 film Last of the Mohicans. Uh, the beginning of a run of who I, for a long period of time, did say was my favorite director, Michael Mann. Uh, Mohican, Last Mohicans, Heat, The Insider, Ali, and Collateral are his five movies he did in a row. That's a hell of a run. And then, uh, you know, Miami Vice uh, after that. But uh, w- what a run. <laughs> <laughs> uh people you know again I, I i'm that guy that will always say when people are like what's your favorite movie and you know if they say what's your favorite daniel day lewis movie and you want to say something artistic or whatever i don't care lincoln or everybody says there will be blood no this is the best daniel day lewis movie i freaking yeah. love him in this movie uh right up into his chaps which every once in a while we get to see do you notice that when his jacket flaps back and he falls over he's wearing chaps guys and that man's that man's awesome. So I so love this some, movie more than some anything. pale thighs. Yeah, man, this might be a desert island movie for me. I mean, truly, it's just for sure. It's got everything. Every time I watch it, it's almost like I I'm so captured by it. You know, it's so stimulating. It's like I can't put this movie down. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When I, every time I get into it, uh, Dan, final thoughts on the 1992 film Last of the Mohicans. I mean, I, I, I don't know what really more to add. You've got a panel of four dudes that know and love action movies from the 90s. And I think we've all agreed that the 90s were sort of the golden age of action movies. And for this to be maybe the best action movie of the 90s, puts what else can you say about it? If, if it's the best action movie of the 90s or up there in that discussion, at least. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the age of the best action, the the best action movie age, then you know what, what more do you, what more can you say about it? I think that's a great point. Where I completely agree with you. This is a golden age of action movies. What from probably eighty four to what maybe ninety eight somewhere in there. I mean, we can maybe quibble over some years here and there. And it's such a golden era that even maybe the greatest actor of all time had to dip his toe in. And, and, and get get a piece of that action and he yes. just so happens to make it one of the best one of the better performances that you're ever going to come around um and maybe my final thought is schwarzenegger in this movie no <laughs> couldn't couldn't have done it would he have done it <laughs> i, I ain't your scout just like just flexing like <laughs> yeah that's another thing nobody you know how you always read about the big action stars and you see like so and so was up for this or will smith but nobody was up for this this was daniel day lewis's movie right yes, like there was no there's no could have been yeah yeah no, no could have been yeah. in this one uh, kurt russell went ah jesus god damn it i mean i, I i'll do it I'll, ah god i'm snake bliskin after all <laughs> Ah, Jesus, don't make me do this movie. Ah, God damn it. Uh, let's get out of here, gentlemen. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Dan Sanders-Joyce, Planet Fitness' very own Jeff Meacham. Congratulations, <laughs> my friend. 
Thanks, see him with Dennis Rodman in a commercial near you all day, every day. And William Shatner, too, as well, among many others. Uh, congrats to you, my friend, and Paige Smith. You guys, thank you so much for being on the panel today. Uh, really awesome and one of my favorite movies. Thanks for joining. God, I fucking love doing this with you. <laughs> today's, ep- today's episode of Bet on Chicago is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Uh, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Believe promo code BLEAV. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We'll be back soon. I think we might be doing some more movies. Tis the season. We're back. Thanks for checking out this one. We got more coming. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.